Hello, Marvelites! You're listening to Marvel's Pull List for new comics on sale November 20th, 2019. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Tucker Marcus. And what we do here on this program is run you through all the new Marvel comics that come out. We're going to tell you who made them, why you should check them out, and, uh, you know, get them and enjoy them and let us know what you think. Tucker, any hot goss from Marcus Land? Oh, man. Um, I was trying to think of a movie that I saw. One, Ad Astra. That was one of them. Other, Parasite, which I know her producer, Persia, has seen and and adored just just like me. Looks too spooky to me. It's not. No? Spooky isn't the word. I understand where you're coming from, but it's sublime. Okay. All right. And look, I don't like scary movies. I don't like scary movies at all. I don't even like scary commercials for movies i'm the one who's like hightailing it across my dark living room to get from the kitchen back to the bedroom at nighttime you know what i mean because yeah. i'm like pennywise is gonna get me or whatever um yeah, i haven't seen either of those yeah, yeah yeah me either so that's the gossip on my end of things how about you i will let you guys know that right now triple p is inserting a wire hanger into her hair bun she feels very confident that it will stay there the whole episode i will keep you appraised yep. of where we're going but we have to talk about new comics tucker what's up all right we're starting with 2099 alpha number one this is written by nick spencer with art by victor bogdanovich that's a new name at the house of ideas this is his first thing for us yeah uh, so freaking good so good i want to talk about him in a second specifically but, but we have colors by Marte gracia and letters by vcs joe caramagna so Obviously, 2099 is a huge year. It's a huge title in the history of Marvel Comics. When was the original 2099? Early 90s? Uh, 93, I want to say, somewhere around there. You know, you get a little Ravage 2099. Stan Lee writes that one, baby. Punisher, X-Men, Spidey, real good. There's some great, like, lenticular covers. They uh, all had metallic foil borders. Yeah, um, right. They're on display downstairs here at the office, and they just look so cool. And it's kind of a timeless moment in Marvel history. It's really awesome. Coming back to it is is a big deal, and obviously it's the perfect time. It, it, it works out beautifully, and we've made much of this over the course of this year, being the 80th anniversary of Marvel, because 80 years ago was the start of Marvel, 1939, and 80 years from now is 2099. It's kind of a, a cool little bit of symmetry there. So we've done a lot of talking about it this year, and now it finally arrives. Breaking news. Yes. I was off by months, 1992. Oh. It was the end of 1992. Wow. When 2099 started. All right. I so apologize it's to everyone who put their faith December in December 92. I failed. Is that right? December 92 is the cover date, yes. so it's probably released in like September, October. All right. Very cool. So so anyway, it's been a really exciting journey on the way to this first issue. And what a fascinating start, because I say it all the time and, and it's proving more and more correct. 2019 has been such a massive year for Nick Spencer. Obviously, he relaunched Amazing Spider-Man last year, and that was huge in, in its own right. But what I mean is he's just continued to up his game throughout this entire year, bringing Amazing Spider-Man to new heights doing really, really daring things. And that, for me, is the name of the game here with 2099 Alpha. 
it is a really ambitious book. There is a lot going on here, but all in the best ways. Story-wise, everything that's been happening in the world of Amazing Spider-Man with Miguel O'Hara showing up in that book, heralding the start of 2099 in that way, through to this story, which starts new threads. It picks up on some of those other threads. Obviously, it's meant for a new reader just to jump in with this story, but it has this very unique mixture of this classic superhero style with also this kind of darker twinge. It's funny because I often read books and see them through a lens of the most recent movie I watched or a movie that I've seen a million times before and happened to watch again recently and and one that I just recently rewatched was Blade Runner 2049. Mm -hmm. Obviously, that kind of future aesthetic, this kind of darker landscape, it's a different world, it's a different tone, but it is also so specific to what it wants to be. And so we have New Wave of York. We have a bunch of different visuals in this book, which I just found across the board so exciting. You know what? I definitely got tons of Blade Runner vibes. But you know what's crazy? Blade Runner, 1982, only 10 years from Blade Runner to 2099, like timing-wise, that had to have seeped into some of the design choices. They also had a bunch of 2000 AD artists like Pat Broderick and a couple others who have that sensibility as well. It's funny you mention that, that time difference as well, because I believe the Blade Runner director's cut was released around this time as well. So I think there might have been in the zeitgeist a little bit, or at least in this kind of corner of the creative world, a recognition of an elevation from this kind of more underground cult status for Blade Runner into like, oh, it has this second life and the director's cut and like on VHS and all of these things. But yeah, I mean, incredible talent. Great, great start here. It's a rich landscape. It's a landscape that can stand up to that narrative weight. And this is a really big kind of bombshell of an opening salvo. You bet. Okay, my second book I'm covering, but it's my first pick of the week. It's Absolute Carnage number five. It is the finale of Absolute Carnage and what a ride it's been. Of course, this issue is written by Donny Cates with pencils by the aforementioned Ryan Stegman, inks by J.P. Meyer and J. Lyston, colors by Frank Martin, and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. This has been... Can uh, I, can I yes, say one thing please real go. quick? Please I go. also want to give a special shout out to editors Devin Lewis and Danny Kazem. Yes. They... Crushed it. They, they worked absolutely. really hard yeah. throughout this entire like lead up and build in through Absolute Carnage. Just unsung heroes. Yeah, completely, completely agreed. This is one of the biggest books of the year, one of the biggest limited series of the year, something that people were so, so excited about and rightfully so. And it carries that scale. It was it's interesting for some little kind of behind the scenes insight here. I often talk about the Marvel Creative Retreats that happen. And it was just so interesting to hear Donnie, who obviously was writing this Absolute Carnage event, talking in the room to Jonathan Hickman. And then, and Jonathan Hickman, who obviously has written the likes of Secret Wars and a million other giant, giant stories, just talking to Donnie and them trading insights, secrets, ideas on how to write a big event story like this. We've seen two giant creators like that who are so different is just so, so cool. And reading this story and and seeing where this all wraps up and to see how carefully everything has been planned across the course of the story has been so much fun. 
And I've said it before, one of the breakout stars of 2019 for me has been Dylan Brock. Such an exciting character, one that has absolutely enormous potential moving forward, something I'm super excited about. And we get to see a bunch of Dylan in this story with a big event book like this, with a finale like this. Just trust me when I say it is every bit as Donny Cates dynamic humongous, enormous storytelling as you would ever expect. And of course, lest we forget, Mr. Ryan Segman, just on another level here, the level of detail, the level of squishy, overwhelming quality that this entire series has brought is so thoughtful, so well executed, just like a absolutely enormous, enormous lift that this entire creative team has pulled off. Can't say enough about this book. Okay. From Absolute Carnage, now we have, hey, an Absolute Carnage tie-in. And this is Absolute Carnage Captain Marvel number one. Now, we'll say you yes. should probably read this before you read That's Absolute right. Carnage number five. Warning, the events of this story take place before Absolute Carnage number five. It's written by Emily Ryan Lerner with pencils by Andrea Ricardo, inks by Andrea Ricardo and LeBeau Underwood. Colors by Dona Sanchez Almara and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. This is a really interesting one for me because the Absolute Carnage as an event and the Carol Danvers sides of things feel like they occupy distant corners of the Marvel Universe. So it's really, really cool to see how these things collide in a great way. We've spoken a bunch about the Absolute Carnage Miles Morales tie-in stories, which have been so excellent, but that kind of makes perfect sense. You know what I mean? Uh, so much about it is gritty and bloody and, you know, Miles getting into fights in alleyways and on streets in, in New York City and things like that. So it's so fun to explore that area, but then it's also so fun, an entirely different experience to explore how this impacts Captain Marvel side of things, which to me is a more cosmic scale thing. She has a bunch of her own stuff going on in her own series. But to see the level of imagination and the realization of that imagination is so much fun here because to have all of that kind of wrapped into the absolute carnage and the sickly symbiote kind of side of things is really, really great and really fun. And it takes a few twists and turns that explores areas and asks questions that as soon as you turn the page, you're like, oh yeah, this is something I never knew I wanted to see. But now that I'm seeing it, I just want more. So yeah, this is a really, really great entry by this creative team. And I'm super impressed. We've spoken about Andrea Bricardo in particular as having submitted some excellent, excellent work over the past year or so. And, and this is right up there with the best of it. Yeah, and Emily Ryan Lerner, she works on an HBO show called Mrs. Fletcher, mm. and she does some cool stuff. She's terrific. I loved this issue. If you are a fan of Captain Marvel in the movies, and you're like, wait a minute, mm -hmm. her cat's called Goose. What are you talking about? Don't worry. Yep. In the comics, Chewie was, is, and will be the Flurkin. Mm -hmm. Goose is in the movie film. Yeah. It's okay. It's yeah. all good. But if you have any interest in any of that Action, this is a terrific issue. Yeah. I love, love, loved it. It was so good. Agreed. All right, moving on to Arrow number five. There's two stories. First one is written by Zhao Lifen with art by Kang and an adaptation by Greg Pak. This keeps going with the story of Arrow and 
trying to figure out her personal life with her superhero life very much reminds me of classic Spider-Man yeah. stuff in a good way. It's it's great. It's just giving a different uh, a lot of different details, but the core of a great Marvel story is right in there. Then we have the backup story, which is the brand new story. It is written by Greg Pak and Alyssa Wong, with art by Pop Mahan, with colors by Federico Blee. This is Arrow and Wave Origins and Destinies Part 5, really getting into who Wave is, which I think is a great story that a lot of fans, especially in the Philippines, have been very excited for, finding out her origins, how she ties into things. And this one starts to branch it out a bit more, tie it to Atlantis, tie Arrow and Wave to conspiracies and all kinds of really fun stuff. And uh, Alyssa Wong will be in 2020 taking over Dr. Aphra over in Star Wars World, which is so exciting. Cannot wait for that. Okay. My next book is Amazing Mary Jane number two. It's written by Leah Williams with art by Carlos Gomez. Colors by Carlos Lopez and Letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. Give me more Leah Williams. I want to read five Leah Williams books every single week. She is so much fun to read. And this story is kind of the perfect encapsulation of that. This is a really fascinating one because I think when you hear, all right, we're doing a book that's titled Amazing Mary Jane. There's a million different directions to go in that. You can lean, you know, into Mary Jane's past. You can lean into her life as an actor. You can lean into her relationship with Peter Parker. You can look at so many different things. So it's really fascinating for me to see how this rightfully occupies the kind of spidey corner of the Marvel Universe, but makes its own space within that in a really, really fun way. Yes, we dig in a bunch to MJ's career as an actor, which is really fun. It is kind of that perfect forum for different parallels to pop up in her life and with the superhero world and with everything that we know uh, and have seen her go through in the past. It has that energy that I love to read in a book, which is kind of bouncy, it's poppy, it's fun. You feel like you're kind of moving at a quick pace throughout the entire story. It doesn't let up at all. And that's down to the dialogue. That's down to really how she characterizes her take on MJ and uh, everything that's going on for her. And I really, really love it. It's always great to see a character like this get their due in being thrown into that gauntlet, into seeing what tests them personally, professionally, as well in, as in the world of, you know, superpowers and, and everything like that. So, yeah, this has been a great entry. And like I said, give me more Leah Williams, please. This issue of Amazing Mary Jane, like I'm all in on the Mary Jane stuff. And then the Hollywood part yeah. is my like a very close second favorite thing I love about this issue. And then you get into all the superpowered stuff. I'm like, yeah. that's great. That's fine. But I'd like Mary Jane and Hollywood. All of that. Yeah, just a forever. straight up vintage era Marvel. This is just a character story. Yeah. Yeah. I want, yeah. It's so much fun. All right. Up next is Amazing Spider-Man number 34, written by Nick Spencer, art by Patrick Gleason, colors by Matthew Wilson, D. Cunif, and Chris O'Halloran, with letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. This is another 2099 book. I will divert your attention to the back of this issue, which has a checklist for 2099. There are a bunch of issues coming out in November and December. This week alone, we have the Alpha, which we've talked about, this Amazing Spider-Man issue, and we will be talking about FF 2099. Uh, in a little bit so it all ties in together i do want to say whomever made this checklist in the back of the comic 
included the writer and artist last names in this, which I think is so cool because yeah. then you can see, oh, Nick Spencer is doing this one and this one and this one. And, oh, Carla Pacheco is doing that one. And, oh, Jerry Duggan's doing that one. And, oh, Nadler and Thompson, I know them. And I know Horak, them. that's like just you're looking at it real quick. It's such a cool thing, especially for many of you listeners who recognize these names, who know the creators you want to follow. But this one is yes, it is a tie into 2099. Miguel O'Hara's in this. There's a device that can sort of see the future, and that plays a big part in everything. It's a big old mess. Also, Doctor Doom is involved in this, which if you are reading the 2099 Alpha, you know that Doctor Doom is a big part of that as mm-hmm. well. Chippy Chip Chip Zdarsky, he's going to be writing the big Doctor Doom 2099 book. So it's all kind of coming together. I got to give major shouts to Patrick Gleason. He draws Spider-Man with these giant cool eye lenses Mm. like they're just like half his face yeah and they look so gnarly they remind me of the 90s there's just really fun vibrant dynamic aspects the way he just draws movement and and his shade work and his lines oh freaking love it man yeah it's real good you know what else is real good my first pick of the week annihilation scourge alpha uh this one is so freaking good it is written by matthew rosenberg Art by Juan Ramirez with CN Tormi. Colors by Federico Bleed. Letters by VCs Corey Pettit. Like 2099 Alpha, this is the start of a mini event. Not like mm-hmm. a line-wide event, but pretty self-contained. 2099's got a couple more books than Annihilation does, but this is Annihilation Scourge setting up. It kind of pulls from the original Annihilation event, mm-hmm. which happened... In like 2006, 2007, that saw Annihilus, Big Bad Bug Boy from the Negative Zone, go full on in invading the Marvel Universe. And what happens with all that? Takes that, but then spins it like a top and Mm -hmm. has it going along where Annihilus and Blastar, uh, the other Big Bad of the Negative Zone, they're kind of like on their heels trying to escape from something else that is invading the negative zone that is going after them. So it's it's a really cool bit of role reversal, has a lot of fun with it. It's just so cool. I will just say this. If you've read Annihilation, read through like all those cosmic limited series. They go from Annihilation to Annihilation Conquest to War of Kings to Realm of Kings to the Thanos Imperative. There's a through thread and it all kind of ties into this in really cool ways but matt writes a really great annihilus he's big he's nasty he's angry he's bossy he's terrified and terrifying i love that aspect of annihilus he's always like oh my god where's my power i'm gonna lose all my power ah do this i hate you oh i'm gonna eat you (laughs) and he's like freaking out at every single turn it is really cool blastar is like his big boy with his little zoop zoop is just a big giant cosmic story I will say that we did a big Negative Zone talk in the most previous episode of This Week in Marvel. If you are not subscribed, please go listen to that. I dig into the history of the Negative Zone and who Annihilus is and a whole bunch of other stuff. And in this issue, as I was putting that together, I was like, okay, what are the planets in the Negative Zone? Because the Negative Zone is essentially an alternate uh, or a parallel universe. It is its own universe. And so it has its own planets. It has its own everything. And... In that, I was like, okay, I found a bunch of planets and I started finding a couple more. And I read this. Matt Rosenberg introduces a new planet in here called Nifeg, which is Giffen, 
spelled backwards, Keith Giffen was the writer of the original Annihilation <laughs> event. And this is his beautiful little subtle way of homaging Keith uh-huh. Giffen, which yeah. I think is tremendous. Yeah. Made me really happy. If you like any sort of big cosmic horror weirdness, gooey space action, big menacing wild stuff, Nova, Fantastic Four action. This is your book. Oh, and Cosmo the Space Dog is in there, so yeah, you love it. On to Avengers number 26. This one is by Jason Aaron and Dale Keown with Andrea Sorrentino. This one, oh man, I love this one so much. Dale Keown, major Marvel artist through a lot of the 90s. He worked on a bunch of Hulk stuff. And this story focuses on an Avenger from 1 million BC, particularly the Star Brand. The Star Brand in this story is a big Hulk-like character, so it really fits. But he wasn't the first star brand. This story actually gets 65 million years previously mm-hmm. to show us the first star brand is a friggin' dinosaur. <laughs> this is now officially my favorite comic of all time because I love dinosaurs, and I'm making my daughter love dinosaurs just <laughs> as much. We have the story of this dinosaur, the power of the star brand, fighting the Kree and all this other stuff. Then you fast-forward back 65 million years later to the 1 million BC time period. And we follow two 1 million BC dudes who are just like going through. They found this garden. They're trying to protect this garden and enjoy this garden. People don't understand them. They have this like beautiful relationship. And like the first time I see them together, I'm like, oh, cool. I'm going to be very sad by the end of this story, I'm sure. Uh, And breaking news. Breaking news, you guys. We interrupt. (laughs) This program. The wire hanger almost fell out of Perseus' hair, but we're fine. Everything's, leave it alone. It's it's (laughs) sitting there. You're good. Uh, We have this great story of these awesome two dudes. We actually get to see them up against a couple of deviants, which is really fun, how Jason ties all that stuff together. But like I mentioned, I (laughs) thought I was going to be real sad by the end of the story. And, well, it got me. It really got me. The last page is beautiful and devastating. Yeah. yeah. All right. Now over to Captain America number 16 by Tanahasi Coates and Bob Quinn with colors by Matt Mila, letters by VC Joe Caramagna, um, a gorgeous cover by Alex Ross. This one actually involves Wilson Fisk in some really interesting ways, some really surprising ways. Yeah. We've reintroduced or introduced Scourge. Scourge has this history in the Marvel Universe. He has killed a bunch of villains over time. It is this identity for a a villain killer vigilante that Captain America has faced numerous times. This time, though, it seems like Scourge is killing police officers, which sets up a whole bunch of mystery stuff and things that are going on. We followed that one thread, and while Cap's following it, introduces U.S. agent John Walker. He comes into the picture, which is really cool. What I loved is the characterization of Captain America, Steve Rogers, and John Walker, U.S. agent, and their relationship. It's something that is really interesting that was built up over the years, particularly through the 90s and on, and haven't seen a lot of it in a long time. So I really dug that. But there's a big mystery and a big explosion by the end of this issue. Yeah. From one cap to another, we have Captain Marvel number 12. This is written by Kelly Thompson with art by Lee Garbett. Colors by Tom Rabon Villain and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. I can't give enough praise to this Captain Marvel team from everything that they've done with Star, another breakout character of 2019. And now into this, it's been 
such an amazing ride with just constant risk-taking, just constantly pushing the envelope of what this character is. I mean, given the stature that Captain Marvel has reached on a, you know, a global level now over the past couple of years, you could understand them kind of playing the hits. But to see Kelly leading this team and pushing the envelope and introducing new ideas, new costumes, new characters, new conflicts is just so much fun. Here we get something that is recurring for me in this series is like Kelly giving her artists just huge opportunities to shine with action, with costume design, with different kind of character pairings. We have this incredibly different, unique take on Captain Marvel. We have a really interesting conflict happening here. And what we get at the end of the day is a throwdown with Thor that literally takes place across planet Earth. It is so much fun to see because there are these different fight scenes and these different panels that take place where you see them punching each other literally across continents and like from Greenland to Manitoba to Kansas to the Pacific Ocean. It's a really fun thing. It's something that I think we have seen different versions of like in the world of superheroes, but just to see this knockdown drag out fight take place across the planet, it just kind of makes so much sense with two of the most powerful characters in existence to see what the central conflict actually is here to see all the work that's been put into this series and this character come out in a unique light here is really, really interesting. It is so fascinating. And like I said, just huge kudos to this team for continuing to to do things that are really different. I also want to shout out editor Sarah Brunstad, who has been another just integral part of this team in helping this all come to reality. I like that the... Old question was, who wins in a fight, Thing versus Hulk? Yeah. Then it became, who's stronger, mm-hmm. Thor or Hulk? Mm-hmm. And now it's, who's stronger than Captain Marvel? Right. It's like it, the, the escalation of like, do-do-do-do-do-do-do, yeah. all these characters. It's it's neat. I also hope we get toys for all these costumes. You mentioned the costume designs and stuff. Man, I want... I want all those toys. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, we got to go over to a whole different time period. We're going to Conan the Barbarian number 11. This is the penultimate issue of this run by Jason Aaron and Mahmoud Asrar, the writer and the artist, and Matthew Wilson, the colorist. It is so freaking good. It is lettered by VCs Travis Lanham. Incredible team. Yeah. The title of this story, this part of the, the run is called by Krom. I feel like all I need to tell you is this is Conan versus God. That's what this <laughs> issue is. It is big and huge and full of blood and curses and a little bit of introspection and then spitting on your like enemies and anyone who would doubt you and viscera and just nasty stuff. It is so friggin' dope. It is so great. I love this series so much. Enough said. Yeah. Yeah. Breaking news. The wire We're, hanger is almost falling out. Oh, Percy is, is is losing it. All right, continue, see if we can get through Deadpool. All right, okay. Moving on now to Deadpool number one. My second pick of the week. That's right. This is written by Kelly Thompson with pencils by Chris Bachalo, inks by Wayne Fulcher, Tim Townsend, Alve, 
Jaime Mendoza, Live Say and Victor Olazaba, Colors by David Curiel, and Letters by VC's Joe Sabino. Yes. All right. So we've seen the cover. You've got Deadpool on a throne with a crown. And in this issue, sets up Deadpool as a true and proper king. Yeah. How about that? Yeah. It's really neat. I remember hearing about this idea in one of the retreats from Kelly, I don't know, a year ago or whatever it was. And just the... The potential for hilarity, horror, fun, mm-hmm. all of the possibilities in this story were right f- like from the start. And then you you actually start to see it come together. Deadpool does get ripped in half by a giant monster in this issue <laughs> and spends part of it putting himself together. Another part, he gets an arm chewed off and you watch it little by little grow back yeah, over yeah. pages. Like Chris Bichalo with great little comic gags in here. But man, it's a lot of fun. Have we talked about where this kingdom is? I believe so. We mentioned it at least in that solicits video that we did a few months ago. Great. But it is like a playground. Yeah. The kingdom that Deadpool lords over now is monsterdom. He is Uh the king of the monsters, which you find out how and why in this issue. And that kingdom is now centered in Staten Island, which is just so perfect. Just... All the Staten Islanders out there. Do we have any Staten Island listeners? I'm sure we've got to have a couple, right? Yeah. There's got to be a couple out there. Hit us up. (laughs) Let us know how you feel about this. What would you do if Deadpool came to your island home and with monsters and was like, we're here now. Let's hang. (laughs) How would you deal with that? Because there's like a little bit of that thread running through this story. It's really, really funny. It is weird, gross, big action. Chris Bichalo is your artist's artist. He's mm. an artist that every artist loves. They go to, they like study his work, and he comes in here with amazing character designs and you know big moments. There's a I'm looking at a page with a bunch of monsters who are sort of the protectors for the whoever sits on the throne, and it's just they look so gnarly and weird and fun and everything about this screams. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, yes, Elsa Bloodstone does get involved in this. Uh, she's been in some of the <laughs> teaser images and some of the conversations. I know that Kelly is a big fan. Jeff the Landshark, if you are a West Coast Avengers fan, Jeff the Landshark is in this book. Oh, yeah. Being adorable. Yeah, it's uh, best. So good. I loved it. And there is this moment at the end, though, I was like, no, there's a character introduced in this issue where I was like, what? Well, come on. I just got attached to somebody. Are you going to off them? I don't think so. We'll find out. This is a tremendous start to a Deadpool series. Highly, highly recommended. If you are a fan of Kelly Thompson, if you are a fan of Chris Pachalo, or if you are a fan of Deadpool, or if you're just like, I want to try something different. Yeah. This is a great pick. Awesome stuff. And onward to Excalibur. Number two. This is written by Teeny Howard. Art by Marcus Toe. Colors by Eric Arseniega. Letters by VCs Corey Pettit. And design, of course, by Tom Muller and Jonathan Hickman. It's getting real weird. There's some weird action happening in Excalibur. Yeah, we got some weird stuff going on. 100%. Yeah. (laughs) This Excalibur, they're like... Going to the place where the old Braddock Lighthouse was. So if you're a fan of the old school Excalibur books, this actually does tie into some of that thinking and that thought. Captain Kate Pride shows up in this. But then it gets into like weird druids and and seals that are like evil mermaid women and magic and apocalypse shows up. And I kind of love the X-Men having apocalypse like 
on their side. Oh, it rules. Even though they're all like, get out of here, Apocalypse. Yeah. Nobody likes you. And he's yeah. like, doesn't matter. I'm here. Yeah. And he's, they're like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm going to protect this lighthouse. And like, shut up. We hate you. <laughs> it's so much fun. Yeah. And then he pulls out a giant hammer and you're like, why didn't we have this forever? Because this rules. And for fans of Jubilee and Shogo, there's some big stuff happening. And we start to get hints of that this issue. Next up, we have Fantastic Four 2099. Number one, this is written by Carla Pacheco with art by Stephen Cummings, colors by Chris Sotomayor, and letters by VC's Travis Lanham. This is just some really different, really unique stuff happening this week. You know, we're talking about 2099 Alpha as, you know, I, I read that and felt Blade Runner energy. This one is kind of like Blade Runner slash Road Warrior, Mad Max, slash Fantastic Four. It feels retro-futuristic, and it feels like a really interesting angle to attack this part of the story. I love the world building going on in it. I love the visuals. I love these like little things that are just dropped in, kind of incidentally along your way that just build out the experience, that build out your understanding of where we are uh, and what's going on in this moment. And I feel like it's a tough balance to do. I feel like mixing that kind of retrofuturism can be a really tricky thing because you can kind of lean too much one way or the other and kind of end up in no man's land. But I think this does a really nice job of mixing it all in and bringing you out to the other side with a really cool superhero story that also has like weird western influences in ways that i really am into it is super super unexpected stuff featuring like at least dynamics that we're familiar with if not characters and maybe characters that we're familiar with if not the kind of situation that they're in but all that like thrown in this blender and added with this 2099 kind of flavoring on top is just so so cool and really unexpected fun time for me there was a note in i think it was the alpha for 2099 where yeah. they said we're not going to make like the descendants of these characters it's yeah. not going to be like you know the fantastic fours like great grandkids or whatever yeah they're going to take that miguel o'hara route and go with general concept and idea and then take it with something else and right. i really i'm excited for for how that plays out yeah. in these kinds of books. Yeah. All right, we got to move to gwenpool strikes back number four written by leah williams with one page by Christopher Hastings. Get to that in a second. Art by David Baldion. Colors by Jesus Abertov. And letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. Christopher Hastings wrote the original Gwenpool stories, was uh, the first writer to really dig into Gwenpool. And so there's a like full story reason why he's involved. He actually shows up in this yeah. comic. Yeah. And they make fun of the fourth wall breaking and teasing like how they're not Grant Morrison. And then that ties into like Animal Man. And <laughs> it is... So meta that its meta-ness becomes meta about itself, which I love. Leah is just going in on it. It's a lot of fun. The idea here is, you know, Gwenpool, she's trying to keep herself moving, keep her story going. So she's got this big battle arena going on. She sets up one fight that's between Black Cat and Black Panther, and she stops in the middle of it, and she points out it's a cat fight between the two of them. <laughs> it's a really clever way of looking at the way we make comics, right? Mm -hmm. So she goes into her white space and she's like, I need 
more. And so she needs other Gwens. So she goes to other stories in which Gwenpool has appeared. She goes to Superior Spider-Man number seven, West Coast Avengers number one, Champions number five, Rocket and Groot number nine, The Unbelievable Squirrel Girl number 12, into these other stories for the other versions of Gwen and like gives them nicknames. So the one from Unbelievable Gwenpool, she calls Marshmallow because she's adorable, beloved, fan favorite, beloved, big in Japan, has merch, sweet and earnest marshmallow. <laughs> Whereas Champions Gwen, the caption for her is hot dog ho, tweaker, stage five clinger, savant. That Gwen only showed up that one time right. um, eating hot dogs. That is the story. What is also cool, David Baldion draws them exactly how they looked in those stories. So it looks like Matt Walsh's, I believe it was Matt Walsh's uh, Rocket and Groot Gwen. Mm. It looks like Umberto Ramos's Champions Gwen. It looks like Gurehiru's, like, unbelievable Gwenpool Gwen. It, like, they all look how they did to, like, the little ways that the costume was drawn differently, the aspects of the armor. Like, it's so fun. Yeah. I, I should have picked this as one of my picks of the week. <laughs> I love this story. If you've not read a Gwenpool book, you could kind of pick this issue and get a good sampling of things. But I would say check out this unto- this whole run. It's a lot of fun. Totally agreed. Next up we have Immortal Hulk number 27. This is written by Al Ewing with pencils by Joe Bennett. Inks by Roy Jose, Bellardino Bravo, Mark Deering, and Sean Parsons. Colors by Paul Mounts and letters by VCs Corey Pettit. We've spoken a ton about Al and Joe in that partnership, how it's making its mark in Marvel history. I was reading some list online. I forget exactly what site did it, but it was about the best comics of the decade, and Immortal Hulk was on there. Here's the wild thing. Not the last couple of years. It's only been a year and change. It ships right. more frequently than we think about. Right, right. It ships about every two weeks. Right. Like I was looking at the Marvel Unlimited list. Number 17 is in Marvel Unlimited. We're at what, 27? Yeah. That's nuts. Yeah. We're, yeah. They've only been doing this like a year and a half. Right. And so it's pretty insane. And all the praise it gets, it absolutely deserves. I also wanted to shout out, though, Paul Mounts, who has provided excellent colors throughout so many of these issues. And it really helps deliver a look that takes advantage of the horrific nature of this story. This kind of great muted color palette, which I really, really love. This issue takes Dario Agar, head of Roxxon, and the Immortal Hulk and puts them right at the center of things. Obviously, that is a confrontation that has been simmering for a really, really long time. Both of those characters making moves uh, in different ways for a while. This one is a flashpoint in uh, that dynamic, and it's really, really cool to see. It's kind of a threshold issue in a way. We kind of reach this moment with the Hulk that was super fascinating to see and it, it it absolutely provides another kind of peak or valley or twist or turn in the roller coaster ride of this story but it feels like it is a turning point in a, in a big way this character's been through so much so anytime there's a moment of reprieve something else immediately crashes through the wall and disturbs that but it's really really fun to see where it'll fit in ultimately in the tapestry of this book but Love this individual issue. Yeah, they do some really fun stuff in that book. All right, moving on to King Thor number three. This is written by Jason Aaron. This is drawn mostly by Isad Rabih 
with colors by Ives Forcina. There are uh, four pages of art and color by Das Postoris with letters by VCs Joe Sabino throughout. This is almost the end. I don't like that. Yeah, I want more, it's but crazy. it's going out with a bang. You've got old King Thor fighting Gore, the god of god butchers at this point. He has pretty much ascended to god status, which kind of sucks for him because he hates gods, but here he is. You've got the girls of thunder, Thor's granddaughters, and they ride you know, space sharks and, and goats and nasty stuff. And the sort of interlude in here that Das Postaris does introduces a series of gods that ties into the long, older Thor God of Thunder story, the original God Butcher stuff, how it all threads through. It's beautiful stuff, very European vibe to it. The last page is just this most metal end of the universe. Ah, everything is well and truly effed looking page, (laughs) and it is so dang good. Yeah, totally. For you digital only readers, we have a new League of Legends Z issue out this week. It's a new limited series set in the League of Legends worlds. Uh, this one focused on the character Zed, written by Odin Austin Schaefer, pencils by Edgar Salazar, inks by Lorenzo Ruggiero, with colors by Chris O'Halloran and letters by John Rochelle of Comicraft. It happened. Oh, right as I was finishing that, the wire hanger fell out of Perseus' hair. Wow. What is going what on? What a journey it's been. I know. That's been that's like uh, a Jason Aaron's Thor type saga all in the last 45 minutes. <laughs> Beautiful. Getting back to the comic. Yes. Zed follows this character Zed. As you may know, I know nothing about the League of Legends. I love my video games, but this type of game, this MOBA, uh, I've never gotten into. So I'm just learning about this world. You build around this character Zed. We see a bunch of his history. So if you are a League of Legends fan, uh, this one seems like it adds a ton of info on his backstory, what he's all about. We see him just slicing and dicing and magicking and doing weird stuff and changing his name. And who's Zed? Zed's dead, baby. Zed's dead. You know what I mean? Zed's not actually dead. More movie talk. Anyway, all right, moving on from League of Legends. Pulp fiction. <laughs> <laughs> Blueberry pancakes. Okay, moving on to Loki number five. This is written by Daniel Kibblesmith with art by Andy McDonald, colors by David Curiel, and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles, as has been bouncing around on the Loki corner of the internet for the last oh, over a month or so. Loki is a cowboy now. Period. That's with a period, not with a question mark. This is happening. It is so much fun to see the kind of malleability of this character embraced in such a unique way because we have these great Western influences on this story while also weaving it into to where Loki's been. It's really, really inventive, and we get some great Wolverine action in here, which I am, of course, a huge fan of. I love yes. in here yes. that... Kibblesmith like subtly puts in like maybe this is the reason why Wolverine calls people bub. I don't know. <laughs> right. Maybe. Yeah. Well, he just walks away. Yeah, yeah. I, I love that. Yeah, that perfectly describes so much about like this story or the writing style where it's just like, hey, I'm gonna do these things. You can jump on board if you want, but I'm gonna have fun the entire way. Again, Loki is one of those characters that can be almost anything. So to see that embraced in this way is so much fun. I think it gets to the core of what's really, really special about this character. And as I've said before, I am a huge fan of Daniel Kibblesmith. I see huge things for him on the horizon. 
it's issues like this that make me so excited for the future. Indeed. All right, on to Marauders number two, written by Jerry Duggan, art by Matteo Loli, colors by Federico Blee, letters by VCs Corey Pettit, and designed by Tom Muller and Jonathan Hickman. And I think I'm going to make a bold statement. I think Marauders is my favorite of the Dawn of X books. This is top shelf, premium grade, amazing mutant comics. Yeah, people are going nuts for it. This is your jam. Uh, This is only issue number two. You have time to jump on board because you have Kate Pride as captain of a pirate ship. She's got Iceman, Storm, Pyro, and Lockheed with her. They take over a ship that is transporting goods that it should not be transporting. They have a fight with Batroc. There's great conversation there. And of course, yes, I know I'm going to like it because it's got Batroc <laughs> and he's leaping. It's being amazing. Nonetheless, you also have this other story with Emma Frost, who is doing a lot of wheeling and dealing. You've got Sebastian Shaw, who Matteo Loli draws this just poop-eaten face on <laughs> Sebastian Shaw that I absolutely love. He's just like such a meh guy. Yeah. You've got the cuckoos involved a little bit. Eventually Bishop shows up. There's little bits of humor. There's people getting tattoos. There's action adventure. It's like global. You've got Kate kissing people <laughs> and drinking and being friggin' awesome. They have a big cool boat. It's a great, awesome, really fun, high energy, go, 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 action comedy adventure comic yeah it's like, nuts in it's the best great. way it's yeah. great 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 we'll have another jerry book in a second tucker but right now we've got marvel's spider-man velocity issue number four written by dennis hopeless hallam with art by emilio laiso colors by rochelle rosenberg and letters by vcs travis lanham this features spider-man in his velocity suit and he's fighting this young lady who she's got these super speed powers. She's going so fast that she is burning the air molecules around her, and he's trying to, like, slow her down. But when he finally is able to slow her down, he's still stuck in his super speed mode. So we follow most of the story as he's way faster than everyone else. He's, like, does a day's worth of stuff in, like, 12 seconds. It's such a cool way to tell the story. You follow him as he's, like, going shopping for stuff, getting frustrated. There's one point where he's like, why is this taking 12 seconds? Because he's going so fast. That probably feels (laughs) to him like hours. It's great. It's tied into Marvel's Spider-Man exclusively for PlayStation 4. But even if you've not played that game, I think you'll get a kick out of this book. Yeah. Okay, here's our... It's our other Jerry book. We have Punisher Kill Crew number five with art by the great Juan Ferreira and letters by VC's Corey Pettit. Man, what a ride this has been. It's interesting to see the direction that Marauders is going because you feel like you feel like you understand what Jerry loves about comics, what he loves to write, what direction he loves to push stories in. Because I do feel like there's a kinship between Marauders and Punisher Kill Crew in the way that it's like, if you just read those books independently, you'd be like, oh, they, these kind of have a, a spirit about them that that feels similar. And I say that with, you know, as a, a great compliment, because these are some really, really, really fun books to read. One of my other favorite elements of the Kill Crew is to see how this crew has really coalesced into a crew, how to how like the likes of Foggy Nelson and Juggernaut and Frank Castle have ultimately become like this weird team that absolutely makes no sense of at all, which is kind of why they make sense. Don't forget about Black Knight. And Black he's got Knight. a cool flying horse and a great sword. Exactly. Like it is so true to have like these elements that 
are like, you know, we have like the X-Men side of the world and we have like Foggy and Frank who are like vaguely, I guess, like, you know, at least they're, they're like both New Yorkers. So like that, they're, they're kind of from the same corner of the universe, but also not at all. And then you have all that mixed into what I believe feels like one of the last vestiges of War of the Realms as it continues to echo across our universe and reverberate out through across, you know, the galaxy and into the ether. It's always cool to see, like, now that the dust is settled, to see what the, like, public opinion ends up being on it. And as you were screaming at the top of your lungs, rightfully so at the time, it is one of the best Marvel Comics events in recent memory. So to have that be the background on this, to have the kind of chaotic, wild vengeance spirit of this book come all the way through and, uh, you know, exit out the other side in purely kind of Frank Castle Punisher fashion has been so much fun. And if nothing else of all those amazing things, it's just the perfect tapestry for Juan Ferreira to showcase his gorgeous art in. I'm going to miss this book. This is so much fun. Within the last year, we've had some of the best Punisher comics like ever. Yeah. Matt's run on Punisher is one of my favorites yeah, so of all time. Yeah. This run on Punisher, this short little story has been so incredible. And then we've got a new Garth Ennis Punisher Max book. Yeah. We do not deserve all this <laughs> right. goodness. Yeah. So, so good. tremendous. So good. Also, uh, Juan draws this vertical panel towards the end, which is one of the greatest single depictions of winter in New York. Oh, yeah. I've at night. I've ever seen it's just so simple but it, like I could feel yes that tone it's it's incredible I know He's, exactly what you mean right like, like, the, like the street lights yep. and like the snow yeah oh my no god exactly it is what you mean. perfect yeah and like I got a chill when I was reading I was like right. damn it winter is coming <laughs> uh all right let's move on to spider-verse no oh I'm I'm so sorry everyone Spider-Verse! There it is. Number two. And this one is written by Ryan North with pencils by Pere Perez, inks by Jordi Taronga Garcia, and colors by Marte Gracia. So the idea is that Miles Morales has been going through the different realities, pushed through the web of life and destiny, which may be back up and running. So, you know, he's trying to figure out how to save the universe. He needs to heal that web. He needs some help. So this one has him going to the universe of Spider-Ma'am, M-A apostrophe A-M, the universe where May Parker was bitten by the radioactive spider and she was able to save Ben from getting killed and, and Peter is fine, but she's she's a Spider-Ma'am and it's a lot of fun. <laughs> you get lots of Ryan North exactly. jokes and yeah. <laughs> funny bits and humor. But what's cool is it's like, well, the like multiverse is infinite. So it posits that, yes, Spider-Man would have all these permutations, but so would Spider-Man because in, right. in another telling, she is the core. She is the apex, mm-hmm. like the, 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 the thing that things spin out of. So we get this one part where numerous other Spider-Mams from other realities <laughs> are working together with her. So you see... A spider Gwen spider spider Gwen spider ma'am, uh, <laughs> one with like a different Spider Woman outfit, another Spider Woman outfit, the black suit, Miles's suit, like all these different things. So any version that you would have you could think of for a Spider Verse, then take that and ma'am it. Right, and it's just <laughs> tremendous. It is so much fun. It is exactly what you want out of a Ryan North 
Spider-Verse tie-in comic that does also give you a push forward into, like, if we ever wanted to pick this thread up, there's a whole universe of stories to tell there. It is fun. It is cute. It is heartwarming. It is violent and weird, and it's just great. It's yeah. great, great, great. So good. All right, my second pick of the week is coming up right now. It's Star Wars number 75, uh, and this is the farewell issue to the Star Wars flagship series. And I kind of can't believe that I'm saying that. Star Wars number one in 2015, I believe is, not even I believe it, absolutely kind of holds its own place in kind of Marvel Comics history at this point. It was like a huge, huge, massive smash success of an issue uh, written by Jason Aaron, who then shepherded the series for the next several dozen issues. Brought in John Cassidy, yep. who's a gigantic Star Wars fan, mm-hmm. having him do monthly Marvel comics. Like, that was the thing. is like, what do you do to bring out, like, bring someone out of retirement yeah. who doesn't do this anymore for us? Yeah, like, yeah. or like... Like, who's got other... He's, like, a million other things, probably working on Hollywood stuff. <laughs> you want to do Star Wars? And you just see, like, that... <laughs> okay. Yeah. So to see that as the beginning and then to see Karen Gillan jump aboard and just tell such incredible, weird, awesome Star Wars stories that occupy their own corner of the Star Wars universe. And now to see Greg Pak and Phil Noto wrap things up as they have done over the last eight or so issues has just been so much fun. It's kind of crazy to think about all of the stories that have been packed into these 75 issues because we have taken huge kind of leaps and bounds and establishing the new canon of Star Wars. It's really, really, really awesome stuff. But as we've said many times, those stories kind of take place directly in the aftermath of A New Hope, and we have journeyed quite a long way in time and space, and now we are set firmly just prior to the events of Empire Strikes Back. And then with the new launch of Star Wars number one and Darth Vader number one in 2020, we are going to be experiencing the aftermath of everything that happened in Empire Strikes Back, which I cannot be more excited about. But in issue number 75 right here, we, of course, are told a story that's brought to you by writer Greg Pak, artist Phil Noto, like I said before, and letterer VCs Clayton Cowles. This is a big one that I think completely is deserving of this mantelpiece as the 75th issue, as the final issue of this run on Star Wars. Because for the past seven or so issues, Chewie and 3PO have been on their own journey. Luke has been on his own really fascinating kind of rogue slash force journey, which has been really, really interesting to see. And then Han and Leia have been on their kind of own Side quest. What about my boy C-3PO? Well, You're gonna... 3PO and Chewie. Okay. Yeah. Talk about him enough uh, because, <laughs> because we also have an interview with Anthony Daniels on the most recent episode of This Week in Marvel in which we talk about this run yeah. and, and how kind of pivotal 3PO is to parts that happen, especially in this last issue. Yeah, completely. It, it's been really, really cool to see each of these characters explored and tested in new ways, ways that you really never thought of but love to see. And look, Vader is a huge part of this issue. I love the way that Darth Vader is treated in the comics, specifically in this flagship series, because he is that looming presence. 
He is, you know, we see him, but we see him sparingly. And when he shows up, you feel the weight of him being there. And that is absolutely what we get in this issue. One of my favorite inventions of the last of of Greg and Phil's run here are these wonderful, sweet, nice rock people that Chewie and 3PO ended up encountering. There's a great moment where a giant rock man just picks up the falcon and is just like holding it like a Millennium Falcon toy. There which you go, lady. It's so fun. It is like such perfect Star Wars uh, delight for me, me. Can I put this out there? Yes. Dear Lucasfilm, give us a Disney Plus series about these rock people, you cowards. Yeah. Yeah, do it. As they're um, definitely going to hear this. <laughs> um, it's a really, really expansive issue that we have here that takes us from land battles into outer space. We get to see different characters, points of view on it. We see, essentially, we're getting the story of how the crew gets to Hoth, how they get there, and the kind of wild chase that leads them to an iconic moment in Star Wars history. And then we see Vader's response to that, and we see the kind of preamble to what's coming in Star Wars Empire Ascendant, which is the one-shot story that is going to combine a bunch of these different threads of the Star Wars universe, and which will launch us perfectly into 2020 and into the aftermath of The Empire Strikes Back. I'm super, super pumped about it all. I love Star Wars when it's challenging. I love it when it tests the limits of what it can be. And there are so many countless examples of that over these 75 issues. And this is a great, great farewell. Did you see Disney Plus has 4K Star Wars? Yes. And I saw the Han and and Greedo scene. There is a different edit to that scene in this A New Hope. What you talking about, Tucker? Yeah. I believe there's like one extra shot, one extra word that's added to this one where Greedo yells something like McClunky or something like that. What? What is happening? In his own Greedo language, there's like Han says, yes, I bet you will or whatever. And then right before he shoots him and you cuts back really quick reverse shot of Greedo saying McClunky or something. And then he gets and then he gets, you know, blown up. I don't know what's happening anymore. I was just excited to watch the Star Wars in 4K. Yeah, McClunky. Okay. Well, <laughs> speaking of McClunky, let's talk about Strike Force number three. This one is written by Teeny Howard with art by Herman Peralta, colors by Guru EFX, flashback art and colors by Marco Rudy. So happy to see Marco Rudy doing some interiors in here. It's really beautiful. And then lettering and design by VC's Joe Sabino. The Strike Force team is terrific. You've got Blade, Angela, Spectrum, Winter Soldier, Spider-Woman, Wiccan, and Hellstrom. Don't worry, Hellstrom, not dead. He was dead. He's not dead. He's the half human, half son of Satan. Mm -hmm. He's fine. He's going to be okay. (laughs) They're fighting the shape-shifting, personality-stealing, elven jerks. They go to a cool castle in Indonesia. It's tied to really cool old Doctor Strange, Doctor Doom story. Doom is involved. There's big action, wild stuff. I like Teeny's banter in here. It's like a really good patter between the different characters. There's this great moment where Jessica Drew is like, I don't even know your all yours' last names. Then Winter Soldier's like, yours is Drew. Monica's like, Drew? Blade's like, Drew, do you not know everyone's last names? And she's like, the point is, we were kind of down into this, and we're doing this the best way, and then things blow up. It's just funny. It's cool. I like this team. They're not, like, super buttoned up. They're getting some 
nasty business done, and it looks gorgeous as they do it. Yeah. All right, last book of the week is Tony Stark, Iron Man, number 18. This is written by Dan Slott and Christos Gage, with art by Paco Medina, and ink assists by Walden Wong, colors by Edgar Delgado, letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. We are coming to the big end for the Ultron agenda, and you have... Pim Ultron trying to mash people together with machines and think he's doing the right thing. We get cool nano action inside Tony Stark's body. We get some really wild and gnarly robot and human action. And it's just cool. We're getting to this big Iron Man 2020 story, which I know where it's going. We got to get there and then you'll see everything changes. Oh, yeah. Okay, that's what we have on sale for individual issues this week. And now collections on sale include... Immortal Hulk, Volume 5, Breaker of Worlds, Journey to Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker Allegiance, Power Man and Iron Fist, Epic Collection, Doombringer, Star Wars, Volume 12, Rebels and Rogues, Star Wars, Age of Resistance, Villains, and The Punisher, Volume 3, Street by Street, Block by Block. Which is a reference to a hardcore band called Earth Crisis. Thank you, Matthew (laughs) Rosenberg. You are my favorite. In Marvel Unlimited land, there's definitely some more recent stuff. Like I mentioned earlier, Immortal Hulk number 17 is in there. If you are just reading it Unlimited, you're you're like 10 issues behind. Just start buying the books, man. Come on, get in there. There's bunch of other really cool stuff a bunch of star wars issues like age of rebellion lando calrissian which was good star wars issue number 66 war of the realms issue number four very important and yeah plenty more you can check out the full list on marvel.com tucker will put that together for you and did you know that this episode of marvel's pull list was produced by mr daniel with help from jorge estrada and percy of Berlin? oh now i do yeah our audio development manager is lauren wiener and jill deboff is our director of audio That about wraps it up. We'll be back with another episode next week. I'm Ryan. I'm Tucker. This is Marvel. Your Universe.